0: Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk Over the last few weeks, firstly the Holy Spirit's, we've talked about the Holy Spirit's power to evangelise. The Holy Spirit's power to evangelise then this holy evangelism, then the power then to convict the world of sin. And then today the Spirit's power to lead us to all truth. Uh, let me read out what we have covered in this section over the last few weeks. First, uh, John fifteen twenty six, and I've got to verse 11. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from a father, he will testify of me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Here we are just before I move on here in this final discourse. And Jesus is literally in the final few minutes, even of uh, this final instruction to the apostles before he's arrested. And then it goes on and says, These things I have spoken to you that you shall not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me and none of you asked me. Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. This is where we were in last week. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it's to your vantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness. And of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of the world is judged, meaning Satan has been judged. So firstly we talked of how we receive that spirit to evangelize. And help us not to stumble and compromise when persecution comes. Not worldly comfort but holy comfort that reminds us of christ's love which gives us the boldness to stand in the truth too often we take offense we spoke about this then we seek comfort for that offense or that loss or that pain however that type of seeking does not come when we have been fully serving christ and standing on his truth but when we are not intimate with christ and drifting into the world and uh, worshipping the things of the world and seeking worldly things uh, and man to satisfy us. We often then turn to Jesus, as I mentioned at length last week, as the second choice. The second choice when what we pursued didn't work, what we sought didn't work. I was reading John Owen the other day and he said this, is astounding. Let no man pretend to fear Sin that does not fear temptation also. These two are too closely united to be separated. He does not truly hate the fruit who delights in the root, end quote. And it's, you might be like, what does that mean? Uh, The way Owen writes it's so deep, but so often temptation comes and we hover, if you like, around it for way too long. Don't you, don't you we hover around about temptation way too long, seeking comfort, seeking before we crucify the flesh or turn away. We hover around about it too long, looking for just a wee bit of comfort, as we think. Well, justifying it as no sin. This is really what Owen is explaining here. We're, it's no full sin yet because we've, we've not done anything yet. We're just hovering around about the feeling. We're just hovering around about it, when in fact that temptation, is in in itself, is the beginning of the root where sin manifests from. The reason I say it in this context is because too often we we go to man or seek man or seek worldly things in our attempt to date to gain comfort. We also can justify when we're not fully given. No, we've no given way to sin yet. We're just... We're just seeking comfort, it's just... We're just hovering. When his own says, we are pretending to fear sin. When we hover hovering about temptation, people, when we hover, when we spend time trying to justify or seek things, worldly things, We're pretending. We're deceiving ourselves, thinking that's no sin. That's no sinful. When in fact our pursuits at times tells it tells us that it really is sinful. One says then, as if we truly wanted the fruit of our comforter or the fruit of seeking God. If we truly wanted that, we would turn. Away from temptation, but the problem is, as own kind of rights is that the truth is, is that we, in seeking comfort, and seeking flesh, and seeking worldly things, and hovering, if you like, in that area, of temptation, we're denying the fruit, the truth fruit, and seeking fruit, fake fruit that comes for the man or the world. What did Jesus say to the disciples in the garden? We'll get to this in a few chapters. Pray that you don't what? Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Temptation would come. They pray when that temptation comes, as they get weak in the flesh, as they get tired. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Often what happens when temptation comes, we don't pray right away. We get a wee while, didn't we? Just spend a wee bit of time there. All the while, that you, all the more time you spend in that, the harder it is to step away. Owen again says, and I'll paraphrase, unlike Christ, who was fully tempted without him, uh, he was fully tempted, but yet without any of him in the temptation. We, on the other hand, his own splints. We, in effect, seek comfort and hover around temptation. We, in turn, are jointly adding. We are aiding and abetting Satan. We are helping him. Unlike Christ, who's no participant whatsoever in the temptation he received. We, on the other hand, are co-contributors to Satan corrupting us. It's why we're to blame. We are responsible. One more thing, in Owen and Owen in this is, Owen wrote 700 pages, just incidentally, in its small writing. 700, over 700 pages. And the work bless you, over 700 pages. And temptation and sin, it's truly astounding. It is literally astounding. And maybe take you a week to get through about three or four pages. It's start. This is a bit that it's, it's, and it's so extensive. If you're ever interested in looking at it, it's Sin and Temptation, it's volume six John Owens book. It's, if you if you probably read nothing else and you spent a you maybe spend a year in that, it'd be uh, uh, <laughs> it'd be it'd be tough going but so life changing. This is what he says, temptation is like a knife that may either cut the meat or the throat of a man. It may be his food or his poison, his exercise or his destruction. End quote. How awesome is that? So temptation in itself can be a good thing if it leads us to trust in Christ and and it can lead us to, we can use it. It's not necessarily a good thing, but it can lead us to intimacy with Christ or it can cause us to cut our throat. Causes to destroy life. We have an opportunity when temptation comes. To seek God and to run to him. We have an opportunity. Yet often we cut our own throat. Literally. By remaining in the temptation. in an attempt to gain comfort. Now I'm saying this in the context of this message. When we should be seeking God. When we start to stumble. When... We feel hardship or things come to us or we feel that somehow we're no complete in Christ, that somehow then we run. You ever in a conversation with somebody and you've been justifying why you're not going and seeking God first? Let's seek him together. Let's no bother. <laughs> Let's go and deal with that on your own. James 1, 12 15 is tremendous in this. it says blessed is a man who endures temptation for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him let no one say when he's tempted I am tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by what his own desires and enticed then when we, Then, when the desire, see this is when we don't, this is what happens when we hover around temptation. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin when it's fully grown, brings forth death. The Holy Spirit is a comfort, is an advocate, someone who stands with us, who stands beside us, next to us. The paraclete is, is no your go-to help when the world rejected you. And I say that in the context of what I've said before is because I'm hovering around about spending too much time trying to seek comfort from the world. And then decide to come to Jesus when it didn't quite work. After you've pursued everything and you end up being dissatisfied. The Holy Spirit is to stand with you and comfort you and lead you to what all righteousness as you stand against the world and its temptations as you declare Christ. As you declare Christ, there'll be temptations. Stuff comes in. Voices come into your head. Fear comes in. All sorts of stuff comes in. Distractions come in. Many times are you going to pick up the phone or go and study something or go and do something. Oh, but you get distracted. That's why I'm... That's why I'm I'm not a fan of reading books at all on Apple devices and all that stuff. A wee pop-up comes up, doesn't it? Ping. Right. Ping. Can't trace the crumbs either. Can't trace the crumbs. Go and try and find your notes after you've read it in a book, in 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 a device. You can't find them. You just need to pick up a book and you'll see your highlights, though. It kind of just takes it away. That's why books... You know, don't you think that? Listen, not another note, don't you think Satan loves that people are using devices for books now? Because see, when you're in a book, it's harder for him to tempt you. He's not got anything, but he needs to distract you in something else. See if you're, see if you're in a, see if you're in a device reading a book or articles or that stuff. Ping, pop, ding. <laughs> Millions of distractions. As if God's word should be actually shared with worldly things. Don't you think it's chronic? Can I just challenge you here? Don't you think it's chronic? The same device that you use for other things will not go there. The same device that you use for other things is the one that you're reading God's word for. It's worth the admission money alone, not <laughs> in it. Conflict. Um, with the world. That's what ends up happening is when conflict, if we can't first overcome temptation ourselves, then what ends up happening is we end up having a shallow passive gospel. You know where a shallow passive gospel comes from? Sinners who never resist temptation. That's what it comes to. A shallow passive gospel comes to sinners who never resist temptation. When man sin and then he Starts to relinquish the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's no man's words that speaks. But it should be the Spirit speaking through the man. This is why we can listen to people and you just go, you know what? I'm losing the will to live here. I'm literally losing the will to live here because I'm hearing from man. And this is a wonderful thing. It's no man's words or man's eloquent speech. Paul says so himself to the church in Corinth. This is astounding. 1 Corinthians two twenty-five. And I, brethren, when I came you, did not come with what? With the excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing. Or I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling and my speech and my preaching, listen to this, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom but in the demonstration of the spirit and the power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but the power of God. A believer knows the difference for hearing from man giving eloquent words and the spirit speaking. You maybe not be able to find language for it but you know it. Go back a few verses to 1 Corinthians 1 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Paul says. Where is, the, where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Man's wisdom, man's persuasive words, will never lead to a true revelation of Christ. This is why we need the Spirit to convict the world to sin. No man. Throughout churches today. This very day. There will be men in pulpits. Throughout the world. Delivering sermons. Full of man's persuasive words. Full of pathos. uh, Persuasive in the Greek. Pathos. To entice. It means in man's power to cause feelings or emotions. My goodness. Even when you open up the Greek, it's astounding, isn't it? And man's persuasive words to entice or to get people to feel something. Some of you have been part of churches and that's what it was all about. I, th- I want to feel something. I'm getting them to feel something. Paul never tried to entice Men to Christ by giving insight into man-made emotions or inciting man-made emotions to get them to know true love of Christ, they needed Paul to speak through the Spirit. The pulpit today is a wash, a wash with man's emotions and man's ideas. Trying to get man to see Christ. Men who are obsessed with their message and their message titles. Trust me, I've been in these meetings. I've been in, meetings. I've been in meetings. I've been in meetings, sermon meetings, leadership meetings, where half the meetings been spent with figuring out what would be a good message title. Who cares about your message title? Another guy I speak to from time to time, he says, I don't like to give them the message title because I like to wait and give them the big reveal. Your big reveal. The big reveal is if your clever words somehow could persuade men and win them to Christ. It's all pathos. It's all man's work to win man. It's like an actor, isn't it? It's like an actor delivering his script and hoping at the end to get the applause. You can tell I'm passionate about that. It's wrong in every single way. The believer is starved to death, and the seeker doesn't hear for Christ. This is why we are false converts. Everywhere. In church. All over the church today. Who what happens is the first sign of temptation and trouble, they flee. And we don't even need to talk about the congregation. We can even talk about them on the pulpit. If you think about it in the last year or so. First sign of persecution, gone. Embrace the world. Love your neighbour unprecedented times. See if I heard unprecedented times one more time on Friday night when I was on a live thing. I've not even gone there. Unpre- How many times are you going to see unprecedented times before you start saying <laughs> God's over that? And allowing yourself to adapt to these unprecedented times. We don't need man's word. We need the Holy Spirit to convict the world. This is what Jesus is telling them. We don't need man's wonderful presentations. We need the Spirit, the Spirit's power. Speaking through man, Theon and it's no it's no God speaking it to us. It's God speaking through us. That's the difference. That's the difference between that's the difference between being distracted every two minutes. That's the difference between looking at your watch every three seconds. That's the difference between saying, that was interesting, I've heard from man. That's the difference when you look at the speaker and all you see is man. Compared to when the word's convicting you and you leave, whoa, it's the difference. You see this word persuade or pathos on many occasions. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, we see it played out even more clearly when the man says, and in this parable, I'll not into it, they see they're talking and then the conversation says, oh, we'll believe when they see man raised from the dead. And in the parable, it no, it says this, Luke 16, 31, but he said to him, this is, this is Christ really, you know, if, if he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, listen to this, through one who rises from the dead. Here is something I'd like to say to all the healing ministry people. This is the kind of thing I'd like to say to Todd White. I'd love to sit down with Todd White and say this. What makes you think making somebody's two feet straighten up on the street, which they didn't need straightened up usually anyway. What makes you think that's going to one source of Christ? You see this constantly in the charismatic movement. They're going about in street preaching and going, I'm I'm raising the, I'm doing these miracles, thinking that miracle in itself will lead people to Christ. Do you know what it says in this parable here? Jesus says Himself in this parable. Even if I came in the flesh to them, having raised for the dead, they still wouldn't believe. So I don't know why Todd White and these healing heretics somehow believe that somebody's going to come to faith because somebody laid hands on their ticky back. Or their wonky eye when they were never really blind them. What do you see? What do you see? And I'll shove you again. Somehow thinking. That's got to souls for Christ. Jesus says himself through this parable that even if I came back to them in the flesh after being raised for the dead, that wouldn't even be enough to convince them he'd been saved. That wouldn't even enough to convince them that I existed. Because it is in an action. It's not an outward action. It's in the Spirit's power. Jesus says, even me raising from the dead and going to visit them, wouldn't he persuade them? And it never, didn't it? No. Because it's not an outward action. If people only see the outward action of man's work. See all these healing things, you're thinking, you think that? You think that's evangelism? Not even Christ visiting people after being raised for the dead, convicted people. So don't tell me your two legs getting straight towards working. We go not into the world as men. Brothers and sisters, we go in to the world fully the spirit goes holy men full of the spirit to what? to declare the word forget your fancy knowledge preach Christ yes that means learn the word of course it means learn the word but then you allow that word to do the talking We do not come with persuasive words to entice man. No, he stir his flesh with emotion. We come to convict the world. It's no man's words and the world's words that entice us to temptation. Paul as a man was weak, says it. But when he spoke, Through no his flesh, but the Holy Spirit, it comforted him. That trembling and that fear that he says, that he knew from what that fear and trembling—it's not even fear and trembling for man. He feared and trembled at the thought of no preaching God's word accurately. He knew his own lack. But he was overrun by holy boldness. Paul in his flesh was no courageous. He says so. Nor was he claiming to be. That's why he says, so I've got fear, I'm, I'm nothing. And my own strength, I'm nothing. But the Spirit's power gave him all the power and courage he needed. And if you feared declaring the gospel... It's proof you're going it alone. You're going it alone. No one can truly declare the word in his own ability. Nobody can declare the word that'll have an effect on the soul of people's life. Saying it in your own ability. Paul is saying, I'm not bold because I'm any different in the flesh from you. I'm bold because I'm determined. Kreno is the Greek Do you know what it means? Listen to this. It means to judge. And you young guys who are preaching and teaching and if anybody's listening here, this is a vital point here. It means to judge and examine yourself. To judge and examine. To judge and be examined. You know, he's determined. He's judging. He's, he's, He's determined to put himself on trial to figure out To remove him. So he puts himself through this series of trials and tests. If you like. So that as he studies the word. And preaches the word. And declares the word. There's nothing to him in the word. So Paul is saying. I've truly examined and put my flesh on trial. And I'll say you young guys and everybody who's listening. Put yourself on trial before you preach the word. And if there's anything in you. And anything that you're saying that's trying to impress men, then you should be crucifying that before you even say a word. Oh, that'll be a good bit. Oh, that'll be good. Oh, wait till you share this bit of knowledge. Sat in sermon after sermon after sermon, year after year, and heard man's eloquent words because he's not put himself on trial. Listen, I could talk, I could, I could use other examples, but I will need to look no further than myself. I look no further than me when I never fully put myself on trial, never understood the word, never learned the word, and then went and preached man's ideas and philosophies in the hope to one man. But Paul examined. That's what it means to be determined. Cranial. You threw a whole court case in your own mind and spirit. And if you're guilty, of anything, yourself, make sure you find yourself guilty. You punish it. You bring your thoughts into obedience to the word of God. Why did Paul do it? To make sure he never spoke his own words. His own persuasive words. But the spirit's power to convict the sinner. Me who preach and teach must... Truly put our own knowledge in trial every single day. And you put your own knowledge in trial and you crucify that and you bring the word, you open the word, you will only preach the word. And you'll be confident to preach it anywhere. Because there's no one man's eloquent words. Too many preachers want a shot. You're not getting a shot. Until you start judging what you're saying, thinking people are going to like that. You know, I used to prepare sermons. Because this is a whole sermon in itself. This. I'll, I'll, I'll teach on it sometime. And I used to prepare sermons to the point of view as I get excited about what I learned about what I was going to say. Well, that'll be a good bit and I'll put that there and that'll be good. It's, 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 it's shocking. Wondering why the church was like a zoo. Literally. Put yourself on trial i just say it'll be totally insufficient. And know that it's only the word that can convict the sinner and sanctify the saint. Which now leads you to the final part. (laughs) That's just the final part. Of Jesus' instruction to the disciples, the Spirit's power to lead us to all truth. I've just kind of mentioned some of it there. John 16, 12 to 15. We'll speak about this just now and wrap up and then we'll get into the night and, and open up a bit more. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak in his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All the things that the Father has our mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. First Jesus tells the disciples, he's many things to say to them, but at this time, they cannot bear it. Bastazo is the Greek. They cannot carry it. They're not able to carry that level, that amount of knowledge, of that understanding, of that depth of the word John Calvin and his comment he's totally scathing of this scripture in fact many of the commentators, commentators are listening, they're absolutely scathing towards the church and then Calvin in particular in his time the people see at this point where they have used this verse to introduce things outside the word. You can use the papacy, you can use Muhammad, you can go to the modern charismatics. This is a go-to scripture for saying, you know what? You're going to get new revelation outside the word. Calvin writes, now maybe ask what those things are which the apostles were not able to learn. The papists who put forward their inventions as oracles of God, truths of God, wickedly abused this passage christ promised new revelation to the apostles they say and therefore we must not stop at scripture for he calls apostles to something beyond end quote firstly it ties in a lot with what we said about man's ideas but also of course calvin is talking about all the things that the papacy then passed on traditions because it's the truth plus traditions for sacraments it's not just the word I thought they are on the go there. And then what happened is, is they, they said that this is God's truth and God's word. Cathedral. They have a thing called cathedral. The Pope can create something. They've done a survey and says, you know what? what oh, Mary's, ho- Mary's so holy that she was she never died. She just ascended to heaven. Is it true is it in the word? No, but we've done a consensus and it's what people feel about her. So we'll just make it real. Seriously? was the whole start of the Reformation in 1517. We see that played out today in Charismatics. Word of faith people. In fact, we see it in almost every sphere of church. Personal revelations because God is what? God is still speaking new things in the use of scripture. And the Spurgeon says the sails are up. The ship's left the (laughs) harbour. And anything goes we are now, as Spurgeon calls it, on the downgrade. Where the word is no longer sufficient. And see if the word is no longer sufficient. Then it's not the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not the power of the Holy Spirit's at work. We'll get into more of that, more of that tonight. The disciples were limited. Though based on their flesh. Their immaturity. The lack of faith. Predominantly the lack and mostly because of the lack of the Holy Spirit. This is why it always deeply troubles me and it's deeply troubled me even before we were Reformed. When I see people barely saved or no even saved. Having hands laid on them and prophesying all sorts of stuff out of their lives. How much of that Is them who's speaking it judged themselves? How much crano have they went to? How much have they went and put themselves under trial to find out what they're putting into these people? If Paul is determined to know nothing, why in charismatic church are they giving people everything? And I mean everything. Everything. Just come to one of their meetings one day, you'll get it all. How can an immature, totally immature, barely, if at all, converted believer have the wisdom to truly judge what they're receiving? They can't. This is what makes it heartbreaking when you see these charismatic churches and young people coming and getting enticed with emotion and have no ability whatsoever to judge whether that's came from God or not. And they just go along with way and fake it. Pretend that they've seen gold dust. Pretend that they could shabba do. Pretend that they were slain in the spirit. They have no idea of what they're doing. Creating carnage. Leading false believers into more lies. While they themselves fake the power of God. Wogan Hendrickson says this, how can those who think so lightly of their own sin, I know people that's laying hands on people that have never looked at the depth of their own depravity. How can those, he says, who think so lightly of their own sins serve as agents of the Holy Spirit in the work of bringing others under conviction of their own sin? End quote. Do you know what you get? You don't get them convicting people of sin. You get them giving them a brotherly hug. You get them wearing masks saying you love your neighbour. You get them buying sausage rolls and, don't know why I say sausage rolls, bits of pizza and having a wee outreach thing. You get anything other than convicting of the word because that's, go to these things, that's what you get. Jesus knows the disciples are not fully equipped with the truth and knowledge to convict the world of sin yet. They know some things, but the spiritual strength in them is still to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, reminding them what they were taught, you could say Jesus, and this is encouraging. Jesus is not belittling them here; he's not even rebuking them. He's but promising them there is more to come. Their fears will subside, their confusion will give way to godly understanding. They feel ill equipped. Totally ill equipped. And Jesus is bringing a future hope. Better to be ill equipped and know you're ill equipped than faking it and pretending. If any of you have been running about that charismatic stuff, I bet you're fake laying hands on folk. Don't tell me you've known you have. Don't tell me you're fake praying in tongues you have. Don't tell me you frate, flate, never f- fake getting slain through emotionalism you did. And don't tell me you had to. <laughs> Here's another thing, no judging here. Is that a wonder? Is that a wonder at the first sign of persecution you had a meltdown? Or you created another gospel so that you never had to face any truth or speak any truth in the first place? So some people say, why do you call it these. Guys? This is why I call them it. The disciples felt all equipped. And Jesus is bringing a future hope. God has way more for us than we can bear. Isn't that a wonderful thing? A lesson, therefore, in patience here is a good thing with people. Not a lesson in... It's a lesson in patience. I think J.C. Ryle mentions that in his commentary. And I think as you read this, you see this is a lesson in patience to bring people to maturity. Not a lesson in going and shabba-dabba doing on them and telling them to run a marathon round the, the room and wave a flag and paint a line and some prophetic art. That's not waiting people to mature so that they can carry the word. And then the first time some some of the most powerful, call it powerful, some of the most powerful fake powerful, charismatics I know would have a meltdown if somebody didn't look at them the right way. They don't like me. Like, whoa, 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 So the same spirit that's allowing you to paint an owl on the stage, the same, the same spirit that's gave you the power to paint an eagle on the stage is the same power that can't help can't help you but fall apart when somebody looks at you the wrong way. Really? A few years ago, I was at church in, a church in England. I was looking at it. I was thinking about it in my study in time's new legal. On here. This is roughly four years ago to this time. I think it was around about maybe we were there. We were in York. And it was this kind of wee event, a kind of church event. And they were raising up lots of young couples. I always remember what happened this weekend. They were raising up lots of people to plant churches. One of the worst things I heard that weekend in the side note was a guy got up and preached. They were just the bomb. You remember that Ariana Grande concert and they were a bomb in Manchester? The preacher got him and says, that wouldn't have happened if I was there. The devil wouldn't have dared put a bomb there if I was there, he would have been too fear to me. I nearly, I honestly, I nearly lost my salvation and killed the guy there and then. Because all I could think about was a poor family that was there. All right, so their child wouldn't have died if you were there. How much? <laughs> wow. How much cranial was in that statement? None. Anyway, these young people are planting churches and they're raised up to plant churches. Some of them, literally, literally in their teens, just young couples, just married, coming to this church where they were getting it. Are you ready for it? Empowered. Totally, they're getting empowered because you know how I so believe in you's. I don't be- listen. You're not going to do anything because a man believes in you. I so believe in you. The problem is, is people are not believing in you. I believe in you. And the enthusiasm through man's persuasive words went, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And I would speak to these young couples and they were terrified at the thought of planting churches all in these cities all over England. One in Manchester, this city, that city, that city. And they were sent out. When man's persuasive words to build these churches all oh, enthusiasm No maturity whatsoever Keen as mustard But nothing that would have says these people will be Ah oh, but, but God will dare Listen seriously Totally out of their depth, but that's where God, that's where Jesus wants you in it, out your depth. That's the whole t- teaching and that stuff. The church pastor, of course, so believed in them because they were desperate to please him. And the church was a go-for-it church. Just do it scared, was the quote, eh? Totally ill-equipped people who could in no way bear the weight of their sending out. To my knowledge, four years later, not one of the churches are alive today. Reckless, broken people. I don't even know where the people are today. I was praying for them and I was studying. I don't even know where the couples are today. I don't even know if they're still in church today. Not one of the churches exists. This enthusiasm we see in the modern church is hurting people so much enthusiasm worse when they do not even know the purpose of the nature of the holy spirit they don't even know the purpose and the nature of the holy spirit and they've been given enthusiasm first (coughs) let me also add in apostles as we wrap up they'd still witness witnessed christ dying of course i don't want to leave that out we have They'd still they'd see her be raised to the dead, then Jesus visiting them in the upper room, then breakfast by the sea, then ascending in front of their very eyes. They'd all that to see first. That was certainly going to help them. Then the Holy Spirit phone on them in the upper room. A lot has to happen before that knowledge will manifest, and they can bear or endure the weight of all that stuff. You see, the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to not just lead us to truth. But to give us comfort when we share such deep truths with the world. It's easy to bring man's word to the world. But to have the strength to bear and carry God's word to the world requires the power of the Holy Spirit. No man. So at this time the disciples were not spiritually full enough to carry the whole counsel of God. How wonderful though that Jesus says at the moment, at the moment. But also he has so much more to give them and they will know. And he'll send the Holy Spirit, the messenger, who will be the vessel in which they carry truth. They don't, you don't carry the truth of the word of God in you. You carry in the Holy Spirit who lives in you. When we hear of Peter being full of the Spirit, we see such a contrast. When he was unable to bear few chapters on, we see Peter, at one turn, denying Christ and then the next minute, well not the next minute, a wee bit longer, he's already denied Christ, I'll go to this wee passage here, he's denied Christ once and as he stands outside, Christ has now been arrested and tried, we'll get to this in chapter 18 in a couple of months or something, and it, here Peter standing outside Jesus being arrested he's in Jerusalem he's been tried he's been questioned and here Peter standing outside he's already denied Christ once and then he goes on and says John 18 25 27 now Simon Peter stood and warned himself on fire outside um, therefore they said to him you're not also one of his disciples are you? he denied it and says I'm not he's not got the ability to bear I'm not you maybe relate this, you maybe can't relate it to this, but maybe you think, oh, I, was, I was talking to somebody today, I, I wanted to mention Jesus, but I was just too nervous. But it's all right, because I've learnt in the charismatic circles just to give them a hug. Or some other circle. You're not also one of the disciples, are you? He denied and says, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative, I mean, there's me no hiding here, a relative of the high priest whose ear pierre cut off. They know it's him. Did I not see you in the garden? <laughs> no, me. Wasn't he me? You know the guy that cut that guy's ear off. <laughs> Wasn't he me? Really? Sure, if somebody cut somebody's ear off and you were standing next to him, you'd remember who he looked like. Peter then denied again and immediately a rooster crowed. In a sense, I can remind them of the truth, but Peter could not bear the truth. Due to his fear of man, he could not stop himself from stumbling when persecution came. Yet a few weeks later, in fact, to be exact, 53 days later, Pentecost Sunday's next Sunday, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, so we're nearly up. Pente- next Sunday's Pentecost Sunday. Are the celebration of it peter says this and i want to read this piece and just piece some together because it's too long this is faith acts two after the holy spirit comes in the day of pentecost as you know peter and the disciples were in jerusalem acts 2 14 you can try and follow here on the screen but peter standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to them here he is in jerusalem thousands and thousands of people Remember, it's the it's Pentecost, it's the festival, it's the feast. There are at least a million people in Jerusalem here. Tens of thousands of people he's speaking to. Fifty-three days of it, he didn't even know Jesus. Fifty-three days later, fully the Holy Spirit, this is what he says. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. He goes on and says in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in the midst as you yourself also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands and crucified him and put to death. It's not the same man. Then we go to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, surely like God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. Why were they cut to the heart? No Peter's words. No Peter's words. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and all your children and all who are afar off. As many as the Lord their God will call and with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Listen to this. Then those who gladly received his word were baptised. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Some first sermon, eh? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Listen to this. Then fear fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. We just go straight to, the charismatics just go straight to the signs and the wonders. Never even mind exegeting the scripture. The fear was no longer in Peter, but in all who heard him. We'll conclude here this morning and then we'll get in the night. I'll just read these verse. Uh, That'll get into the night. Verse 13. However, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Tonight we'll open up that wonderful verse along with the other two and bring this section to close. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Truly, when we work and live in the Holy Spirit, we don't end all, We don't declare our words. We don't declare our words and we never presume that they are our words. We declare and determine to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.